Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while, right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored, as always, by Greening Law. Greening Law is a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Fight the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen... The radio, the TV, now the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, Doc? I would be the non-sexy one, Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast. It is version 300, our 300th episode, and we're asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. You know, I was looking at this the other day trying to figure out because... We, like somewhere along the way, right around this date is the exact two year anniversary of doing the podcast. And I think it was a couple of days ago because I'm and trying to. Wasn't October 9th? I the think di- it was October 8th. Yeah, I was going to say. See, I think we left on October 7th. So okay. I think October 8th would have been the day. Yeah, two years ago that ESPN in Dallas completely just went away. I've been 16 people along with Jacques and myself all let go. And we started the podcast two years ago. It's still going strong, still growing it. We got more listeners than we've ever had. And that's a testament to you guys following along. And that's, that's pretty cool, man. The 300th episode right here. No, I got to say so. Now we just got to hope that we're not like Sparta and 300 is when, you know, we get wiped out <laughs> by Xerxes. Remember Xerxes? Yeah, bro. Leonidas, if you kneel to me, you can have all the land that you can see. Man, kiss my ass. Did you ever see that movie? Dude, that was a big 300 from 300 fan, bro. Yeah, that's one of those. This is on a tangent, but we can do this. This is one of those things where 300, I might own seven Blu-ray DVDs and 300 is one of them. Mm, It's, it's, uh, you know, that's a good point because I don't think I have it, but I, I think in my collection, I've got about 10 DVDs and six of them are Bond with the uh with daniel craig wow man like, uh, whatever whatever daniel whatever bonds yeah. daniel craig is in i've got them all yeah I, I used to get some blu-ray dvds and now if there's any movie that i feel like we do this with holiday movies because we watch a lot of the same holiday movies year after year I, I buy them on like amazon or whatever and then whatever device you want to watch it on you own it so you can watch it on that device and i just i, I haven't i think a christmas story is the last dvd i got but I know uh, we've we've know. got Elf and like Christmas Vacation and maybe a couple of other Christmas movies that we just own digitally. The last DVD I bought, I remember it distinctly, is uh, you tell me if you've ever seen this movie, The Counselor. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Oh, dude, that's fantastic! And I got the uncut version because the regular version was so good. I was like, the uncut yeah. version must just be just phenomenal. 
so yeah, that's uh, and the counselor has got uh, Brad Pitt and uh, Cameron Diaz, Javier Bardem is in that. Yeah, yeah, it it is it is fantastic. I think it, it didn't get a lot of love for whatever reason. I don't think, but it is fantastic, man. Yeah, man. I mean, he. It's a Ridley Scott movie. That's a, that's a really good movie that came out. I don't know, maybe ten years ago, whenever it was. Yeah, it's about some drug dealers, but it's high level. It's just, and it's it's got the stuff I like, which is like, wow, they really killed that person, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the best, man. All right, well, let's talk some cowboys. And before we do that, obviously, let's tell you about Greening Law. They're one of the main reasons that the podcast continues because they continue to work with us. And again, I've been working with them for 15 months. I was hurt in a car accident and I'm a client of Greening Law. And I can tell you the process is easy. If you were hurt in a car accident, if you've experienced malpractice, injured on the premises of a business, your first call needs to be to Greening Law and the Green Team because the consultation's free and they'll tell you straight up. I mean, it takes hardly any time for them to get back to you and be like, yes, you have a case we're going to bring you on or no, I'm sorry, it's not quite a case there for you. But you don't know unless you call, and they handle all sorts of different clients for personal injury type situations. So you need to give them a call and let them go to bat for you. No, pick up the phone, give them a shout, 972 934 8900. If you've ever involved in anything, whether it's at a, a residence, an apartment complex, any type of business, it's a car accident, an 18 wheel, any of that stuff, you just pick them up, give them, give them your situation. And if they bring you on as a client, it's a great day for you because, as Matt has told you guys, this can be a time-consuming process. It's got some complications to it. It can be a little bit intimidating. And Grinning Law is there to walk you through it, lead you along the path, guide you, tell you answers to questions you didn't even know you were supposed to ask. And that's why they, they, uh, they're they they're good at what they do. And that's why you, all you have to do, man, is pick up the phone, 972-934-8900, and ask them for help. There it is. Consultations free, 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening. Call him now. Offices, Dallas, Texas. This is going to be a fun one. I got to tell you, I, w- I was obviously looking forward to the season opener against Tampa Bay. Things didn't go the way that we wanted it to. And then everything that came out after that, and you weren't really looking forward. And I even talked about this. I wasn't that stoked for the next couple of games. I have not been this excited for a Cowboys game since before the season began. Cowboys in Philadelphia against a team I hate more than any other sports entity outside of Texas A&M or the Houston Astros. The Philadelphia Eagles, Sunday night football, 4-1 and Cowboys, 5-0 and Philadelphia. I think this is going to be a fun one. No, I think it's set up to live up to the hype. You know, sometimes these games don't live up to the hype. I think this one has got everything you want to live up to the hype. I think it's going to be a tension-filled contest because the defenses are so good that there's going to be this, you know, every play seems to matter. Every play has a, has a sense of urgency to it because you can't fall too far behind because both of these defenses are so good, you're going to have a hard time coming back. Yeah, and that's the thing is that we talk a lot, obviously, about the Dallas Cowboys and the Cowboys defense. They haven't allowed more than 19 points in their first five games. You got to go all the way back to doomsday in 1972, the last time the Cowboys did that. Only one touchdown in a game all season. They haven't allowed more than that. And you're talking about, again, you got to point. Well, they haven't played anybody. They did that against Tom Brady, Joe Burrow, and Matt Stafford in three of those five games. I'd say that's pretty good quarterback play that they have been able to hold in check for the most part. You look at their ability to get to the passer. They lead the league in sacks with, with 20, or excuse me, Micah Parsons leads the league in sacks with six. And you just kind of look at this, but the reality of it is, 
This is, as you just said, Jacques, this is a really good Philadelphia Eagles defense. They have 17 sacks to the Cowboys' 20. They are tied for first in the NFL with 11 takeaways. And they've got, we always talk about Trayvon Diggs. They've got Darius Slay and, and James Bradbury. They've got Hassan Reddick on the edge. They've got Fletcher Cox in the middle. This is a really, really good Eagles defense. Dude, they're giving up 294 points a game and 4.69 yards per play, which is fourth and third, respectively, in the league. Um, they're hard to move on. And yeah. I saw some tape of, uh, what was that, Jordan Davis, the guy, big guy from Georgia? Yes, he's a beast. Uh, I saw some tape last week. Um, dude, he's starting to play more, um, and he was just destroying people in the middle of the line. Basically, he stands up your center. Sees where the ball is going, tosses your center the opposite way, and then go makes a tackle. Um, or you can't move him, and so he just clogs up anything and forces your running back to bounce into the waiting arms of somebody else. And for me, with them leading the league in turnovers, bro, it's all about can Cooper Rush continue? What do they say? Any possession that ends with a kick is good. Yeah. Even if it's a punt, it's good because you punt the ball, you let your defense play, and, and then you go after it. And so uh, to me, this is a. Uh, let me see. How do I say this, man? I respect what Cooper Rush has been doing. I really do. And the, the game, none of the games have looked too big for him. But I also only have a certain, you know, I'm only giving him so much credit. And I've sure. been fairly consistent in that. Um, and so, to me, this is, this is his stiffest test. And this is the one, to me, that whatever questions I, me, your boy, whatever questions I personally have about Cooper Rush will be answered, I think, in this game. And it's all about his performance, you know, whether he plays the way he's been playing. To me, win or lose, if he plays the way he's been playing, like, all right, it's on, it's good, it's cool. Yeah, and you look at this, and it's as simple as this, and I know that there's a small portion, and we talked to Todd Archer about this on the last podcast, there's a small vocal portion of fans that are always going to be anti-DAC that have just attached themselves to Cooper Rush. I think the vast majority of us realize that Dak is capable of doing a lot of things that, that Cooper Rush can't do. But how about this? When the Cowboys originally kept Dak Prescott in the lineup over Romo back in 2016, during that 11-game win streak, the offense put up 24 or more points in 10 of the 11 wins. Cooper Rush has done that once. So it just kind of goes to show you the type yeah. – of difference now and you can argue well that was back when Zeke was fresh and there's different weapons fine whatever but that's just the reality of it here's where I think the difference is going to be in this game and I hate to say this but we talked about this many many times uh, to me when you look at two teams and you feel like they have similar talent and I think the Cowboys and the Eagles defenses are very similar the Eagles have a very good offensive line it is banged up but they have a very good offensive line in this particular matchup because it is going to be Cooper Rush. I think Jalen Hurts is a better quarterback. The dude can do things on the ground. He already has six rushing touchdowns. He's second amongst quarterbacks in rushing yards. He's fifth in completion rate. He's completing 68% of his passes, which is like quite a jump from last year. He's averaging eight and a half yards per pass attempt, which is second in the league. And that's where I look at the Philadelphia Eagles offense. And okay, let, let's just let's assume that Trayvon Diggs has a crazy good game, even though he's not a shutdown guy. They've got AJ Brown and Devontae Smith. You've got to find a way to to stop both of those guys. I think this is a good Cowboys defense, but the escapability of Jalen Hurts and the pieces that they have offensively to me are better than what the Cowboys are rolling out there. 
And that makes it difficult when you look at these two offenses. I just wonder, is this the game where the Cowboys offense is going to be forced to finally start scoring more points? And see, that's my problem. And that's why I give Philadelphia an, an edge. And it, I just do a simple look at the game. A simple look, okay? So don't come at me with, oh, I got all these stats. No, I said this is a simple look at the game. And for me, the simple look at the game is, to me, your Dallas Cowboys got uh, one and a half playmakers. Tony Pollard, C.D. Lamb. To me, that's it. Now, maybe Michael Gallup is a half a playmaker right now, so maybe that gives him two. But I think that Philadelphia with Miles Davis, with Jalen Hurts, with uh, the two receivers, Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown and Dallas Goddard, I think they got five playmakers. And I just think that over the course of a game, even even as good as defense the Cowboys are playing, their five playmakers will just make some plays to create point scoring opportunities that the Cowboys right now don't have enough playmakers to match up. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because it does feel that way. And and I just wonder because this is a this is a very very solid Philadelphia Eagles defense. The fact that they have been taking the ball away at some point, Cooper Rush has gotten lucky. I mean, he threw a pick that should have been a pick last week to a Rams defender that hit him right in the hands and he just dropped it. We've seen that happen a couple of times. I don't know that you're doing that with Darius Slay and James Bradbury. If you throw some of the balls he's thrown, they are going to pick those off. I think this is the game that he's finally going to throw a pick. And that's, unfortunately, for this version of the Cowboys offense, you can't make mistakes against a team like this because your offense isn't good to overcome mistakes. And I, I just, I mean, look, I hate saying this, but I'll put away my fan hate and passion for a second. We both picked Philadelphia to win the division. I think Philadelphia coming into the season was a better team than Dallas. I, I haven't seen anything that makes me change that. I think the Dallas defense is very, very good and will frustrate Philadelphia. I just have a hard time believing that with all the pieces like you just pointed out, that Dallas has enough offensively to to kind of, especially if Cooper Rush turns the ball over, even just once. I, that could be the difference in this game where you're playing from behind and you have to abandon the way that you want to play things, just pounding the run over and over again. I mean, he throws a pick six or gives the Eagles a short field and they get down, even if it's 10 nothing. Are they going to be able to stick with the run? Are they going to feel like Cooper Rush has to go out there and do things we haven't seen him do? Yeah, and to me, that's that's just a big thing. It's, it's uh, you know, this is a game where Dallas, to me, uh, especially without Dak, is can we keep it close? Can we play it close? Can we steal it in the fourth quarter? Um, because it's a close game and the pressure's on the Eagles. Uh, like, you know, part of the reason Dallas is playing with house money, to me, they don't have their quarterback, they're, and they're playing on the road, and they're already in a good position. You know, win or lose, their season – is not over um, after Philadelphia. And so, you know, it, you have to just keep that in perspective. If you win, yeah, it's a great win, but you can't sit up here and then lose one to one of these two bad teams you got coming up before the bye. And if you lose, you still got to go out and beat these two bad teams you're playing before the bye, finish the first half six and two, and you'd be jumping up and down if I told you when the season started, hey, Dallas is six and two heading into their bye. You would literally be jumping up and throwing a parade just for having a great first half of the season. And so as long as they keep that perspective, to me, it's uh, you want to win it. But to me, it's really more important how you play, uh, because if you can't you play well, even if you lose by a field goal or whatever, it says something about your team because the guys in the locker room know what's up. Like they know, like this ain't our full team. We're not really equipped, 
you know, to go. I mean, that's why they're five and a half point dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like Vegas is like, oh no, then and that's a pretty big point spread, really, for for two teams who are playing the way that they're playing right now. But that's because people don't believe the Vegas doesn't believe in Cooper Rush, and they don't believe the Cowboys had the offense to put up the points to win. Yeah, and and I guess one of the only things, and and who knows, but. That Eagles offensive line is banged up. I mean, Dickerson is dealing with an injury. Kelsey, Lane Johnson is banged up. I mean, this is going to be against this Cowboys pass rush. They've they've been limited in practice. Three of their five offensive linemen have been limited in practice this week. And, and maybe there's something to that where they're not 100%. And Micah and Demarcus Lawrence and some of the guys in the middle can take advantage of that and get a little bit more pressure on Jalen Hurts that he's used to. But he does have that escapability. I mean, he is a guy who can get away from people just as well as pretty much. I mean, you got to think when you think Jalen Hurts, you got to think of a dude who has the ability like a like a Lamar Jackson or a Kyler Murray to really make explosive plays with his feet and his arm because he can sling it around. And and with those two receivers, I want to believe in it, man. I really do. But you look at this Philadelphia Eagles team who has scored a minimum of 20 points in every single one of their games so far this year. And it's like that, okay, what's going to break first? The Eagles offense that has yet to score under 20 points or the Cowboys defense that has yet to allow over 20 points. And ah, I just, I mean, the Eagles have scored 24 or more points in five or four of their five games. The Cowboys have only done that once, and that was 25. And so I'm sitting here going, let, let, even if they can get to 24, are you really going to hold this Eagles defense below 24 points? Or this Eagles offense, rather? Dude, that's, you know, and this is what I'm talking about. And this is why I keep saying what I'm saying about the Cowboys. It's, it's I don't believe in their offense right now. I think the yeah. defense is terrific, but the other teams are good too. And so at a certain point, when you got as many good weapons as Philadelphia has, they're going to score some points. Even I mean, so they don't even have to score a lot. They can score 21, which is, you know, a fine defensive performance if you hold them to 21 points. But it's like, can I see the Cowboys scoring 21? Not really. And so, you know, um, I'm going to say what I always say with this version of the Cowboys. There are ways for them to win this game, but it's uh, – you know, it's a harder thing because you need defense and special teams to really set you up a couple times. And check this out, Matt. When they set you up, you got to score touchdowns. You can't kick field goals. Yeah, that's very, very true. And, and again, keep in mind, I mean, this is a Cowboys defense that has taken the ball away. And still, I mean, you go back to last week, they had three takeaways and they still only put up 22 points. The week before that, they, they had two takeaways, only put up 25 points. So, that's that's with the defense giving the off, the offense some opportunities with takeaways, and they still aren't putting up a lot of points. I, I just, man, and I want the Cowboys to win, and I hope I'm wrong. Fan me wants to be like, oh, yeah, the Cowboys are hot. Their defense is going to do it, and they'll do things we haven't seen Philadelphia do. But real me looks at what Philadelphia does on defense, and I just, at some point, Cooper Rush is going to throw a pick. At some point, one of those errant passes is going to cost them, and the offense right now can't make up for mistakes like that. I think the Cow- I think this is going to be close, but I do think the Eagles are going to crack 20, and I don't know if the Cowboys can keep up with them. I'm going to take the Eagles winning this 24-21. to 21. That's pretty good. I could see that. I think the Eagles, uh, you know, I feel weird now because I think I picked the Cowboys in the morning news. I picked the Cowboys to cover the spread. And I feel like they're not going to cover the spread. Man. So I think I, I've got the Eagles winning, man, 
Man, yeah, that would be if that happens, then that you kind of raise your eyebrow and go, okay, we need to get Dak back in a hurry. So we'll see. We'll see. I, I think, I think need, it's going to be I close. Think, we'll see. Yeah, well, I think I think you need to get back Dak back in a hurry anyway, just because yeah. you know the offense. I mean, like I said, I, I keep trying to say this without making it seem like I'm taking a shot at Cooper Rush because I'm really not because he's done a fantastic job. It's just that he's limited. And you can't get past the limitations if you're serious about looking at the team and what the possibilities are. Uh, he's done great as a placeholder. I mean, fantastic. But just look at the offense, man. Less than 300 yards the last two games. Um, I think they've got uh, three touchdowns in their last real 23 drives. Um, they've only scored seven touchdowns with him at the helm as quarterback in four games that's not a lot bro no it's not it, it is not a lot at all man and, and it's it's one of those things and this is where it's going to get interesting hopefully Dak can come back for the Detroit game after this you'd like him to get a couple of games with Detroit and Chicago coming up because I mean we, we all remember how rusty and how off he looked against Tampa Bay and this is a guy who hasn't played now in over a month you know, so you'd like him, like, hopefully he can get back into the rhythm and get a couple of games under his belt before you have those two road games at Green Bay, at Minnesota, coming out of the bye. But we'll see. No, I don't think I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, because remember, he didn't play in the preseason. Right. So yeah. he hasn't played a lot of live football uh, against anybody. So we both have the Eagles winning. My God, that's horrible. That sucks. I feel like I should just pick the Cowboys just based on that <laughs> to offset that. But maybe it's a reverse jinx, no, man, and people. I'm picking the Eagles with the hope that it'll jinx the Eagles and really the Cowboys will win in some weird universe thing. <laughs> well, I just think that, uh, you know, one of, one, of, one of the reasons people listen to the podcast, bro, is we keep it real. That's and true. So, yeah, everybody knows that, that, you're, that you're a Cowboys fan, and for you to pick against them is, you know, you're going to have to have a – a conversation with your Lord and Savior after the podcast <laughs> and ask for forgiveness. I guess um, I am. But, um, and everybody knows that, that I just try to keep it as, re as real as possible and that I don't have an emotional investment in your Dallas Cowboys. And so I would love for the Cowboys to win. I've told you a thousand times already this season, I have no problem when they prove me wrong. And uh, if Cooper Rush wants to prove me wrong this, this week, hey, I'm all for it. We'll see. But again, even if they lose at four and two, with the Detroit and Chicago coming, you got to take care of business when you get back home against those two teams. And as you mentioned, you do that and you're rolling into the bye six and two. Every single one of us, every single one of us has taken that and thrilled to see how the final nine games go. But you got to get there first. You also got to jump on, my friends, to bruisebiltong.com, B R U S B I L T O N G. We've been telling you about Bruce Biltong for a while, and if you haven't had an opportunity to try this yet, or you're kind of like, I don't know, I mean, what Biltong, if you've ever had beef jerky in your life, and you're a big beef jerky fan, or you enjoy beef jerky, Biltong, once you have Biltong, you'll never go back to beef jerky. You can't do it. Bruce Biltong, it's more savory, it's more tender, it is a better product than any beef jerky you've ever had. I'm telling you. Dude, you know, you hit it right on the nail right there, bro. Once you once you try it, you you really won't go back, and that's because you get all the stuff that you love about beef jerky with none of the hassles that you don't love. Like you don't need a toothpick after you take uh, Biltong. It's juicy. I know this, we're talking about some jerky-like substance, but it's juicy. It's succulent. It's tender. It's all the things beef jerky is not, but it's got this great flavor. I mean, it's wonderful. I love the sliced Biltong. You just got to get some and try it. 
you can thank us later. You can send us a testimonial later. Lots of folks have done it. But it is phenomenal. And when you get the slice bill time, bro, it's 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 not quite orgasmic, but it's in the conversation. <laughs> it's very, very good. It's bruised biltong. <laughs> Check them out, man. It's a South African air dried meat. It's 100 percent air dried beef is what it is. And man, it's good. It's just a great snack. I think you'll really enjoy it and support him because he supports us. And, and, and he's the only pot. We're the only podcast he's ever worked with. We continue to be so. So check him out at bruisebiltong.com. B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G.com. Use the promo code JAM15 at checkout and you'll get 15% off your order. Our friends at Smokey John's, man, we've been telling you about Juan and Brent and Smokey John's for a while, the Jam Session Bowl and, and, and how amazing these guys are. This is wild because yesterday... We received three different messages on our social media accounts, and you can find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio, at JJT underscore journalist. You can find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. I'm going to read a couple of these messages because they were all about Smokey John's. So David Jr. sends us a message. It says, went to Smokey John's today, had the Jam Session Bowl, and it was awesome. Had to skip dinner. I ate too much. Also had a piece of strawberry cake. Well worth the drive from work. So that's one testimonial, not even from us, just from one of you out there in the listening audience. Stephanie posted a picture on her Instagram and and tagged us in it. So Stephanie said, you know, I had to stop by Smokey John's and it was a picture of her at Smokey John's at the fair because Smokey John's has a couple locations out there at the fair. And then Dennis sent us this message, man, and I thought this was really cool. Dennis Adams. So thanks, Dennis, for this. He says, I just downloaded Twitter just to let you know my wife, my son, and I had Smokey John's. We got two jam session bowls and the Steve White. We only had one half of one bowl left. It was amazing. Best catfish I have had in a while. Keep up the great work on the podcast. My son, he's 12, and I have listened to everyone. <laughs> How I'm cool impressed. is that? Dude. I mean, I'm telling you, like, this is, we, uh, we tell you. Get- Smokey John's is the best, man. And that's three different people just that happened to reach out in the last couple of days telling you they, they tried it and they love it. <laughs> Smokey John's is the best. And that's why we tell you, you had to take our word for it, man. It's uh, it's fantastic. Everything on the menu, everything on the secret menu. It's all delicious, bro. It is. And in the jam session bowl, I mean, more and more of you get out there and get an opportunity to try it. And, and I, every person that has tried it, I mean, we get picks all the time. I mean, you guys aren't kidding around. This is awesome. This is great. Yes, it is. It's Smokey John's barbecue. Whether you're the jam session bowl off the secret menu, or you get the Steve White off the secret menu, or you order something on the menu. I think you're really going to enjoy Smokey John's. And, and thanks for the kind words, you know, that was really cool to see those messages and go through those the last couple of days. We appreciate the support, guys. And and I know Smokey John's does as well. So check them out right there off Mockingbird, right off uh, in between 35 and Love Field in the Dallas area. So I want to take this trip around the block. We got a couple things to get into. First off, I was telling you this yesterday. I'm going to a concert tonight. And I've been telling the lady, I this is the most excited I've been to go to a concert in years. Really? Yes, because there is a band that I discovered a few years ago called The Midnight. And some of you may know this. Like, I'm a big Pat Green fan, and I love Texas country and that whole thing. The other genre of music that I really, really love is synth pop, which almost... What the hell is synth pop? So that is basically like if they released some of that 80s synth type music today, it would sound like what that is. So it's, it's, it's it's got a very 80s vibe to it. It's a lot of synthesizer 
but pop and, and the midnight, they've got a few albums and I love them all, man. I mean, I listen to them a lot when I work out, they just pump me up. I'm a big fan of what they do. And I don't know why, like a few months ago, I just happened to see they were putting out a new album. And so I was like, you know what? I, I bet they're going on tour. I wonder if they're coming anywhere near here. I never thought they'd come to Birmingham. I had no concept of how big the midnight is. They're not like a huge band, but they are playing at a venue in Birmingham tonight. And it's called Iron City, and it, it would be, it's smaller than, for those of you in the Dallas area that have ever been to the Bomb Factory, it's smaller than the Bomb Factory. I mean, it, it may hold a couple thousand people at most, maybe less than that. And right, right, it, it's, right. I've seen a couple of shows there before. It's a very small, intimate setting. And I was like, man, and then I saw tickets were only 30 bucks. I was like, we are going to this. We are going to see the midnight. And the date has arrived, and it is tonight, and I am stoked. Dude, I mean, you sounded a little excited last night when I sent you that text. I'm like, uh, okay. Yeah, man. And, and it's funny because the lady fiance, she doesn't really know their music very well. I mean, I've played some for her and she likes what she's heard for the most part, but this is 100% for me. So, you know, it'll be interesting because I've never been to a show of this nature. Like I usually go to, you know, Texas country and I've been to, you know, I guess, more like Fleetwood Mac type shows and stuff. I've never been to a this genre of music, so I'm very curious to see the patrons and some of the other people in the crowd. Like I, she was joking. She's like, I mean, are there going to be glow sticks and like people on ecstasy and stuff? I was like, it's not house music. This isn't EDM. You right, know? Right, it's right. synth. It's synth pop. It's more like, yeah. I mean, you, some of their stuff. Like they have one that sounds a lot like something like back in the '80s that you know maybe a Depeche Mode or you know, somebody like that would have done. I'm trying to think of another one. Blue Oyster Cult, maybe some things like that. The Cure, that, like that type of stuff. Like if it was modernized and put out today, to me, kind of reminds me of that type of vibe. I got you. I got you. I was going to tell you to give us a sound. Is it... No, it, it's, no. I mean, they're all, they have some slow stuff. They have some really upbeat stuff. They have... It's, I mean, it's all over the place, man, but it all features synth. I mean, they have a couple of songs that are like a synthesizer and then a saxophone comes in and electric guitar. I mean, it's, you know, it's all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, they do have a song okay. that's kind of like that. They have one that goes like, you know, and then they have some that are much slower than that. And they have, they have some that are like basically like just synthesizer going off. And, you know, they open their show because I've been, Here's what I did, because this is, and I don't ever do this, but I'm stoked for this show tonight. I've gone and looked at their set list from shows that they've played leading up to coming here. Wow. And I put wow. together a playlist, and I've been listening to their set list, like, front to back while I work out the last couple of weeks. Oh, you are all in, bro. Yeah, man, so I'm ready to go, because there's a couple of songs that I was unfamiliar with, and I was like, oh, what's this? And I put it on, there's like, oh, this is great, so, you know, I'm ready for it. it it's It's... We'll see how it goes. I, I mean, I've, I've seen they usually play for about an hour and a half, and it's such a great venue to see them. So it's going to be fun, man. We're going to make a night of it because that area down there is very hard to find parking. But we're going to go early because there's a brewery that we can park at and hang out there for a little bit and then walk to the concert venue. So it's going to be cool. Fun night on the way. Also, for those of you in the DFW area, and this is something I've wondered about this for a while, man. And I don't know that this is the location that I think makes the most sense, but yes, apparently McKinney leaders are going to ask residents, they're going to put a bond up for vote here in, the, in very, very, like in the few coming weeks, asking residents to finance a new airline terminal at McKinney National Airport, 
with hopes of creating a third commercial airport in North Texas to rival DFW and Love Field. Now, this would be on a much smaller scale. This would, I mean, obviously, nothing's going to be on the level of a DFW. But this would be kind of, I think, the hopes of maybe one day building towards what Love Field is because they're talking about a terminal that might have as many as four gates of uh, adding an, an additional runway. It would cost about $300 million, but an investment to attract a major national airline to provide air service directly to Collin County. And they make the argument, and this is fascinating, there are over 1.1 million people in Collin County alone, which makes it bigger than metropolitan areas like Tulsa, Omaha, and Honolulu that everybody services. So they're thinking if they put in like a legit terminal and runway that maybe American Airlines or Delta or even Southwest would start using that and you could fly directly into Collin County, you'd have it'd be way easier to get to Frisco, McKinney, Plano, all that stuff they're building north up into Sherman and whatnot. So this is really interesting because, and I didn't realize this, but apparently Texas Instruments and some Taiwanese-owned silicone builder called Global Wafer, (laughs) they are both planning to spend a combined $35 billion to build build high-tech factories in Sherman that will employ thousands of workers in the semiconductor supply chain world. And so if, if you're thinking that and they're going to have those massive factories up there, then it, it, it makes even more sense to try to get some sort of a major airline that would fly into. I mean, you think about that. If, if you're if you are one of those people that works for a company like that, or even if you're like with Toyota or somebody over in Frisco, you got to fly into DFW or into Love Field. And if you could fly into McKinney. It makes sense now that they're only like 30 miles. I mean, as the crow flies, as the plane flies from love from dfw and even closer to love field i always was curious if they would do something more out east like out in the Rockwall area but collin county makes a ton of sense especially for the growth and where they're at right now and, and you got to wonder is it, like at some point the dfw area is going to have to add a third airport so i was, I was thinking like dc's got two but it seems to me like dallas is bigger than love field uh chicago's got two but, uh, you know, the way Dallas, Fort Worth, metropolitan area is booming, and I'm talking about booming, whether you're heading south toward Midlothian and all of that, or whether you're going north with, like we're talking about with Frisco, and even north like Denton, um, it just seems like, you know, over the next, if I project out, even though I won't be here to see it, 50 years, it doesn't, it seems like three airports would not seem like, you know, unnecessary, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's something that could be viable and that they'd all have a lot of traffic. And, you know, for me, I'm all about whatever, whatever makes life easier for everybody. Yeah, pretty much. And as spread out as DFW is, it it makes a lot of sense that you would have, you know, I don't know that you need to have another DFW type airport, but it makes sense that you would have the Love Field type airport where maybe you've got because Love Field is restricted to 20 gates. And you, you kind of wonder, will there be some of these other ones as the area grows where you can pop something up where it makes sense for some of these other airlines to, hey, we can fly in and pres- provide a service because there are millions of people in that area that we're flying directly to. So I'd be curious to see how that growth happens. So you just sent me something and I was like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, bro. This just popped up today. Is that real? You can edit Go tweets now? 
Go go ahead and tell the people, bro. Yeah, I mean, you sent I me just, a screenshot, and it says you you tweeted something. It says your tweet was sent. You have thirty minutes to make any edits. Yeah, and I was like, wow, what is this? And then I just made up another tweet to send, just to see if I, you know, like, you know, I had some alcohol three days ago. I was like, maybe it's still in my system, uh, but it wasn't. And then I remembered reading something. Now I am. I have uh, purchased um, Twitter, what's it called? Twitter Blue, which has a couple features on it. It costs like $2 a month, yeah. like for real. But it has a couple features on it. And one of those features allows you, before your tweet sends, you get like 20 seconds to edit it or 30 seconds to edit it. And so I thought that I was kind of seeing that. But then I was like, you know what? I remember reading something that said an edit button was coming and they were going to let people who were on Twitter Blue try it out first. And literally, when I was sending a tweet, that's the first time I've ever seen it this morning. And so it says you've got 30 minutes to edit your tweet. Um, and I think that's cool. That, you know, because some people get all caught up in typos or sometimes. And I'm just being real with you. You know, autocorrect will change something, and you're like, "The fuck? Yeah, that's not what I typed." Um, and so you can, this gives you an opportunity to go back and t- and change it. Um, you know, and and 30 minutes. If you haven't changed in 30 minutes, then you didn't mean to change. It. Yeah. So I think that's cool. I think that's great. Yeah, I think that that's very very awesome. And I'm glad that they had that that edit button. I mean, there are times where I have just misspelled, like you were talking about, and you put something out, you're like, great. And I've had to go back and just delete the whole the whole tweet because I left out a word or I misspelled a word and it looks stupid. So I, you just try to go back and and it can be irritating. Or there's like times where like I've tried to like you just get busy and you'll tweet out like a link or something to something. And you're like, oh great, I didn't put the link on that. So now the fact that you can just go back and edit it instead of having to delete that tweet and completely redo the tweet will be nice. I'm glad they're putting that feature on there. That's pretty awesome. So, no, 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 that's great. So the other thing that we had for you here, and this is something I've seen this on Netflix as well, but you were saying that you checked out the new Redeemed team, that little documentary that's on Netflix. Dude, it was, uh, I, you know, I I had a little time yesterday, and um, and for some reason I was up. Normally I get sleep, I go to bed early. Because uh, I get up so early. Uh, but I was up yesterday and I was like, oh, I've heard a couple good things about this. Let me check it out. And, dude, it was so good, although I fell asleep in the middle of it. I got up this morning at about 4 o'clock and watched the rest of it before I hit the gym. <laughs> got to tell you, I hit the gym. Yeah. So, but anyway, um, it's a really good doc, man. It, it talks about the, uh, what is it, the 2008 Olympic team that after failures to win the gold, the previous yeah. two Olympiads, uh, they put together, and, and it was really cool because uh, they showed you a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, as you would expect with a documentary, but it showed you Coach K in a way that you've never seen him, which was interesting. And I, uh, I, I'm not going to tell it all, obviously, for you guys because it just popped out a couple of days ago, I think. But it shows him in a way you haven't seen him before because he's being real because he's talking to his team. And so you get to see who he really is as a coach, not just a finished product that you see after games. Um, and, uh, you know, it was pretty interesting, man, because the interesting thing about it, and we kind of all knew it, but he said, we put together a basketball team, not just a group of all-stars. And so everybody's got a role. I don't know when your role and opportunity will come up, but everybody's got a role and, uh, you just have to play it. And so there's a couple things in it. It was just fascinating, but is, and again, we'll talk more about it after, after I give you guys a chance to see it. 
because uh, I want to ruin it. But I was telling Matt that I just the, the thing that just kept bugging me is a lot of it is focused on Kobe Bryant because the force of his personality and how the team just just took over his personality. And it's an interesting thing to me because y'all know I spend a lot of time with Deion Sanders. And he has the same type of personality where if you hang around, I'm going to tell you all this. This is real talk. If you hang around him long enough, you you literally, Matt, start picking up some of his traits because the force of his personality is so strong. Mm. And this is what I mean. I can count, man, probably five times in the last three weeks or last couple of weeks where I've just picked up some trash that wasn't mine and put it in a trash can. And every time I do it, I go, this fucking Sanders dude, he's got me do <laughs> Like, for real. Because I, yeah. I don't think about it. I just go, oh, this 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 trash here, It's I'm, walk, like, I'm walking past it. I should just pick it up and put it in the trash. And, it's the, it's, and he ain't never said nothing to me about it. And I ain't never talked to him about it. But he does it all the time. And I find myself doing it now. Not because of anything. It's... I just see it and I just say, oh, I should, I should put it in trash. And the point is, Kobe had that force of personality on his team. Now, we'll give you this example because I don't think it's telling too much. They had a day off and all the guys were like, oh, this is great. We got a day off. Let's go to the club. And they went to the club as a team except for Kobe. And they stayed out all night and they partied all night. And they got in at 4 o'clock. And as they got in, they were walking in the hotel Kobe was in the lobby heading to work out. And they were like, what are you doing? He's like, going to get my workout in. They're like, and they were all talking to each other like, and this is what they were saying. They're like, do y'all see this motherfucker? I mean, what is he doing? He's working out. And the next day, a couple dudes joined him. And by the end of the week, everybody was going to the four or five o'clock workout. Except one player. He was like, that's still too early. But he started going at like 6.30. <laughs> but it was the force of He never told him to come work out with me. He never said, oh, y'all ain't slacking. He yeah. never said anything. He's just, this is what I do. And they're all like, this is the baddest dude on the planet. If this is what he's doing, well, hell, uh, maybe we should just do it. So anyway, it was, it was all of that. And then the other thing I was telling Matt is I still can't believe Kobe Bryant is dead. Like, yeah, man. He seems like such a strong-willed, indestructible person. I know he's dead, but I just can't. I was like, dude, he's just so powerful. I just had a, I would, throughout the whole documentary, I'm just like, I can't believe this dude is gone. <laughs> because it seems like you could never kill him. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, he was, I mean, just that mentality like you're talking about. I mean, we're coming up three years. January, it'll be three years. Yeah, it's just amazing, man. Yeah, it is. And and that was that redeem team. I mean, it wasn't quite the dream team, obviously, but the disappointment of having not won gold in 04 where everybody's going like, how in the world do I mean, we've got the best basketball players on the planet when you put them all collectively together and some of the other countries are slowly catching up and not like it is here. I mean, come on. You know, and that was weird because Kobe by far was the biggest star on that team. Jason Kidd was on that team. He was the only player over 30 that was on that team. You know, and you just, it, it, Dwayne Wade was on that team, Dwight Howard, Chris Bosch, Chris Paul, uh, Carmelo Anthony was on that team, you know, and some others as well. But it was like, 
I think like Coach K was saying, like they built a team. They just they didn't go out and get like, oh, who are the best, biggest stars in the NBA? They actually tried to right. put together an actual team that had guys uh, that had specific roles. And then they, they spent a lot of time talking about the Kobe-LeBron dynamic because they were both sensational players. And you can't have them fighting amongst themselves to prove who's the bag, who's the baddest dude on the planet, yeah. because you can divide the team because people can start taking sides. Um, and so they talked a lot about the dynamic because they both understood it, and so they both took took action to make sure that they were doing whatever they were doing was in the be- was in the best interest of the team, not their own personal agendas. Yeah, it was wild, man, because that was. It's still wild any time that the Americans don't win gold in basketball. And again, I mean, you look at like like some of the great players that we obviously know. Luke is a great example of this that are not from America and play for those countries. But when you put Americans together on a team, collectively, they should be better than any other team that's out there. But the way they do it in Euroball is different, too, because a lot of those guys, if they don't play in the NBA, they play together all the time and, and they know each other really, really well. And these Americans come together and they throw them together for two weeks and say, OK, go play as a team. Oh, now, you know what's interesting? Again, this is not giving away too much. Um, Krzyzewski, to your point, when they brought the team together, he's, I think it was after a couple of practices or whatever, a week or two, he said, you know what? He brought the team together and he said, and first he talked to his coaches. He's like, we've got to teach them that the international game is not the NBA game, that it's literally a different game. And so we have to teach them a new game, a different game, and not just say, "Hey, we're just playing, just playing basketball," because yeah. this it's not. Whether it's because the players were talking about some things that they call a foul in the NBA, or is not a foul in international basketball, right? And then they were talking about the actual ball. You know, the the international ball's got twelve panels, and I think an NBA ball's got eight. And so we're talking about guys who have shot the ball what a hundred thousand times, two hundred thousand mm-hmm. times. Well, they could feel it in the dark. Well, no, this international ball feels differently. And so you don't get necessarily the same rotation or it doesn't feel the same when you're loading it up to shoot it. And these, and so, you know, they started practicing with international balls and doing all this other little stuff and really going over the, the really nuanced differences between the game. You know, even the stuff like you can go snatch it off the rim in the international game is goaltending in the NBA. Well, these are habits that have been ingrained in you since the time you started playing and could touch the rim at, you know, 14 or whatever. Now you, you've been playing a decade and they're like, oh, no, you can go snatch the ball off the rim. It's not a big deal. Yeah. And so just understanding that made them a better team. Yeah, which makes a ton of sense. And it, I mean, it's wild, especially with I mean, they knew going into Beijing, you the mission is to win a gold like anything else is unacceptable because they had people forget in 04, the men's team won bronze. They lost in the semifinal game and it wasn't close. They lost by like eight points and they had lost three games in that Olympics, including the worst, the worst, uh, big, the, the biggest Olympic loss ever when they lost by, I think it was like almost 20 points to Puerto Rico that year. I mean, it was it's crazy to think. Because it had gotten lax and guys didn't care about it. And, and man, listening to you describe it, I got to go watch that because it sounds badass. <laughs> Dude, it's fantastic. And it's a, uh, it might last, I don't even know, maybe it lasts 90 minutes, but it's a quick watch. Because it's really, I mean, it's really interesting. It's fast paced, it's moving. And uh, matter of fact, it leaves you wanting more just in terms of like they built it around LeBron and 
uh, Kobe. Yeah. And this seems odd, Carmelo, um, in terms of the most interview time. And so, and Chris Bosh probably and Dwayne Wade. But there's like Jason Kidd, I don't think, I think there was one clip of him being interviewed. And, you know, some guys, you know, Chris Paul, there's a couple clips, but they were, it's like you you would have, you wouldn't have minded at all had it been longer and had you heard more from some of these other guys who yeah. are stars in their own rights. Yeah, it makes sense. Got to check it out. It's on Netflix called The Redeemed Team. So before we jump into this next story from Jacques, because I'm, I'm fascinated by this conversation that you had and very curious to hear what it was about and how it came about. But let's tell you about HFX Foundation Solutions again foundation don't mess with it you don't mess with your foundation man i mean that is one of those things if you are seeing cracks sticking doors sloped floors soil washout after all the heat this summer and then that deluge of rain that came at the end of the texas summer foundations are wonky as hell right now you need hfx foundation solutions it's local it's family owned they service the entire dfw area and they do it all they do slab, they do pier and beam, they do drainage and gutter installations as well. You need to give them a call and let them come out and see if you feel like you've got a problem. It's a free, no obligation inspection. And with foundation, man, that is way better knowing what's going on as early as you possibly can. No, I mean, it's, 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 it's a thing where you just need to pick up the phone, bro. Give them a call at uh, 817-770-0174 and say, hey, Aaron, come get my house, what we lovingly call a colonoscopy. And it's what it is, it's a top to bottom inspection, man. And it makes you feel good, gives you that peace of mind. And that's why we call it a colonoscopy, because that's what happens when you get one. You get you, you just get peace of mind. Uh, because we know that this year's been crazy because it was all the extreme heat followed by all that kind of flood, flash flooding thing. And that's what makes soil move, man. It's the trauma that the soil gets. And uh, you just want to check your house out because if you got foundation issues, dog. You got a problem. And so you need somebody like Aaron and his team over there at HFX to solve the problem for you. Yeah, it's easy to do. It's it, Just pick up the phone, give him a call, see what he can do for you, and they'll come out and, and check out your property. 817-770-0174. Or you can find them online at hfxfoundation.com. Dude, you messaged me the other day like, oh, I just had this conversation with T.O. And I was like, What? And apparently you ran into him at the Jackson State game that you were at, and you guys had quite a conversation. Well, it was, it was really funny in terms of this. And I, it was very awkward, um, again, in terms of this. So I'm at the game, and before the game, I was talking to somebody, and they said, hey, that guy over there is the, uh, is the chairman of the Celebration Bowl, which is basically the black college championship, black college football championship. And I said, oh, he sounds like somebody I need to go meet. And he said, yeah, I'll introduce you. So I was over there talking to this guy. And and I'm talking to him. And then just in my peripheral vision, I see this tall guy. I go, damn, that looks like T.O. And I look, I go, that is T.O. And so I said, hey, T.O. And he turned and he looked. And I just thought he was going to give me the head nod and keep yeah. walking. Instead, he looked at me and he came over. So you know, we're talking, but it's awkward because I'm in the middle of this conversation with this other guy and T.O. comes over, which I didn't expect. So now you got these two people trying to figure out who are you going to talk to? And I was like, this guy's more important for this projects I'm working on. I'm just BSing with T.O. So I kind of ignored T.O., but I was trying to do it so it didn't look like I was ignoring him, but I really was. And so he looked at me and then he just kind of walked off. Well, uh, I caught up with him later at halftime. 
and I think he said, what your Cowboys doing? And I said, ah, oh, you know, they're doing this, this, and that. And I can't remember how it actually started, but of course we started talking about C.D. Lamb. And um, T.O.'s guy was with him, one of his childhood friends who handles all his, his business. And this guy said, oh, he's not a number one receiver. And I said, I looked at him, I said, I'm not really disagreeing with you per se, but I have my own theory. I said, why do you say that? And he gave me this stuff, and it started with, oh, he doesn't want it like this, and I just ignore stuff like that. And this guy, and I say that because it's never, it's really never about a desire thing. That's just a quick thing that people say. And I said, ah, I said, I don't really know about all of that. And he had a couple other reasons. And I said, I'll tell you mine in a minute. And I told T.O., I said, what do you think? He said, he might can evolve. He said he might turn into one, but he's not one yet. He goes, it's a different world when that defenses are focused on you. Mm. I said, true that. I said, I'm not sure he's one because I said, this is just me. I said, I don't think he has special speed. I don't think he's a special route runner. I don't think he has special hands. I think he's really good at all of those things, but not special at any of them. And that's why I'm not sure just how dominant a number one he can be. I said, unlike you, dog, I said, you had special traits that, and you had a lot of different ones. And so then I started asking T.O., I said, so you play with Jerry Rice. I said, what was the transition for you to become a number one receiver? Now, you know, it is T.O., so you're dealing with a certain level of ego when discussing this. But you understand that because it is T.O. And I got to tell you something. You know the one thing, because I hadn't seen T.O. in, you know, two or three years. You know the one thing I noticed about him, dog, because now that I've seen him, his hands are huge. Yeah, I bet. No, like, for, like huge. Like, to the point where I want to go back and look up, like, what his hand size is. And he was saying... Well, I saw what Jerry went through, Jerry Rice, of course, and he said, I knew Jerry was always going to get all this attention, and so I trained myself to try to be a number one because I was going to act like one because Jerry was getting all that attention. And so, you know, with our quarterback situation, I wanted to make myself as available as I could, and so I tried to do all this other stuff. And he said, I basically became a number one after I made that catch against Green Bay. And so I'm like, did you notice the difference in coverage? He go, hell yeah. <laughs> I said, well, tell me about it. He said, it's just everything. He said, everything is just more intense. People are just coming after you. There's, he said, but I had trained myself to be one the year before I became one. So it wasn't as hard for me. He said, but the thing about it is you just have to elevate and you have to be a dog. And he said, not everybody can be a dog. He says, you have to have a dog mentality to really be that true number one. So you know me, man. I'm like, okay, give me some examples of being that dog. And it's hard for him to to do it. He says, it's just a it's just a process, man, where you just want the ball and you feel like nobody can stop you and you just want these opportunities because you know you can make something happen. He said, but in now this is T.O. again. He goes, in today's world, people think they're number one receiver because they got a million likes on Instagram. Or they got a million followers on Twitter. He said, that just make you popular. That don't make you a number one receiver. And then he started talking. He said, you can look at guys playing and tell that they just feeding because somebody else is the number one. And he said, look at a guy like Juju Schuster. He said, I told everybody, once A.B. leave, he can't be no number one. 
because he don't have that. And I hadn't really thought about it till he said it, dog. And I was like, wow, you, you know what? I ain't really heard about Juju Schuster the last year or two. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, he's in Kansas City now, I think. Yeah, but he's like, I ain't, I, basically, when he said that, my thought process was, I ain't even thought about Juju Schuster in like a year or two. Yeah. And then, uh, I can't remember, he named somebody else. Oh, he gave a real, now this is before, most people have a hard time remembering this, but it shows you how long T.O. was in the league. He's like, remember Peerless Price and Eric Moulds? I was like, damn, dog. <laughs> I do. Why do I remember that? Because my dad's been a Buffalo Bills yeah. season ticket holder, yeah. and those two guys were really good in Buffalo. He said, everybody thought Peerless was number one just like Moulds. He said, nah, man, Moulds was getting all that attention and still doing that thing. Peerless was feasting off the attention that he wasn't getting. So he went to Atlanta, and what happened? Everybody said, oh, you're going to put up them same numbers as number one. And he said, Peerless didn't do nothing. And I remember that because why? Atlanta cut him and where did Peerless end up? In Dallas for a little bit. And uh, we actually had some talks because for whatever reason, me and Peerless clicked. So we had a few talks. And he was like, oh, it just didn't work out in Atlanta for a variety of reasons, blah, 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 blah. But the reality was he wasn't good enough to become a true number one once he got the focal point of every defensive coordinator's defense. And that's really the difference, man. And that's what we're trying to see if CeeDee Lamb can be, is when the defense coordinator says, you will not get the ball this week, can you still go get the ball? Man, I mean, that is – and who better to, to pick the brain of than T.O.? Nah, bro, it was a great conversation. Um, you know, it lasted probably about 10 minutes. But, it, it, I mean, it was a great conversation. The only reason it stopped was yeah. the second half was starting. And I was like, yo, I got to go out here. Because I could have talked to him for an hour because, I mean, he was chopping it up and he was bringing some some info. And I was just like, this shit is great. <laughs> because it's fascinating, you know, when you get these guys who used to be stars and they're comfortable and they're really telling you about the game. Yeah, man, that what, what a conversation that was. And that I got to tell you, I, I do not – I have absolute zero recollection of Peerless Price playing for the Cowboys – because I remember he went from Buffalo to Atlanta. I thought he went back to Buffalo, and he did after Dallas. And I just looked this up. He played in 2005. He appeared in seven games, had six catches for 96 yards for the Dallas Cowboys in 2005. And I do – I was going to say. I, I, I have I, – that was like breaking news to me. It's like, Peerless Price was on the Cowboys? <laughs> oh, yeah, Doc. And we, we hit it off in him six weeks he was here. Wow, um, man. You know, because, again, he played at the University of Tennessee. Yeah. I was born in Knoxville, so I used that as an entry point, entry point. And then, um, you know, we just – and then with him being in Buffalo, I used my dad and Bills and stuff to just kind of connect with him. And he was a good dude. Uh, but he was a small guy. He was like 5'10". I don't know what he's listed at, but when you look at him, he's probably 5'10", 185. So he was never a big guy. He was a blazer. And – you know, Bill Parcells don't like receivers anyway, and Peerless was kind of a track guy yeah. in terms of, you know, he's just, you know, he's he would be what you would think about a receiver would be, kind of soft, kind of this speed guy. Oh, I don't really feel great. Uh, and that just didn't work for Bill Parcells, you know, who's more of a Keyshawn Johnson kind of receiver, big physical playthrough, whatever injury you got, just get out there, we need you, da-da-da-da-da. And so, uh, no, he didn't. he did not have a, uh, a good – stretch in Dallas, but we remain Facebook friends to this day. Wow, look at you. 
So obviously, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming like when you were covering the team, you had a good relationship with T.O. I mean, for him to come over to you and recognize you, he, he obviously knew what you were about. Um, Dude, me and T.O. Well, here's the thing about T.O. T.O. and I were, because um, I was telling somebody this story yesterday. Uh, but the deal was, um, how do I want to explain it? So T.O. signs with the Cowboys. And I go talk to the woman Hamlin because he was big enough that he had his own PR person. And so I called her and said, hey, Kim, and we, me and Kim turned out to be friends. But at this particular moment, the introduction is very contentious. I was like, hey, I'm with the morning news. I'd love to talk to T.O. about a story. Um, T.O.'s not doing any uh, media right now. He'll wait until he gets to Dallas and gets acclimated before he dies. And I was like, OK, let me explain this. I'm Jacques Taylor. I'm with the Dallas Morning News. <laughs> We'd like to talk to T.O. for a big piece we're doing. Um, like I said, T.O.'s not really interested in doing that right now. I said, oh, okay, cool. No worries. And so I went and told my bosses, and they're like, uh, okay, what do you think? I said, well, shit, let's just uh, let's go to his hometown and write the story. And so I went to Alexander City, Alabama, talked to everybody who knew T.O., whoever knew T.O., one of the best stories I've ever written on the real and um, wrote it front page of the morning news. And Kim calls me. She says, I thought I told you we weren't interested in that. I said, I know, but we don't really care. You know, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I, I was a little more respectful than that, but that was kind of like the tone I gave her. Yeah. And she's like, oh, well, I'm not sure we'll be able to work together. Da, 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 da. I said, OK, it's no worries. I understand. You, you know, you got to do what you got to do. But I didn't tell her, I said, yo, I'm off to San Francisco next week because they like that story so much. They're like, why don't you go to San Francisco and write the same type of story about his time in San Francisco? And so I did that. And that story turned out really well, ran on the front page of the morning news. And I was like, when I came back, I was like, I guess y'all want me to go to Philly now. They're like, absolutely. <laughs> and so I went to Philly. And when I when I finished them all, because, again, they all went on the front page. They were all really some of the best work I had done. I was really in sync with what I was doing at that time. She called me up. She said, well, I do have to tell you, I've read those stories, and they're they're very good considering you didn't talk to T.O. I said, yeah, I know. So when are you going to make them available? And uh, I think she made them available a short time after that. But that's how we kind of started. And uh, T.O. was always cool, man. T.O. didn't fear the media. So we had a good relationship uh of course because then i was morphing into a columnist you know sometimes uh it was a bit contentious just because um you know it's to i mean and you know to's a great player but he did some stuff that makes you just shake your head and then i ended up writing some columns because he fell asleep in some meetings and some other stuff yeah and uh i wrote some things about this so it wasn't always friendly but it was always respectful and you know my way I mean, those of you who have followed my career as a reporter or as a as, as a radio guy or whatever know that I kind of keep it real. I'm a I'm an honesty guy and a truth guy. And that can lead to contentious relationships with people. But what happens is once they leave the game, I ain't never had a player not when we saw each other. Hey, what's up, dog? How you doing? Blah, 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 blah. And that's because they knew whatever I wrote was the truth, whether they liked it or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that's why me and Des Bryant are cool now because once you get away from the game like again whether you liked it or not you knew that it was the truth 
And I'm the kind of guy, even if I write the truth, I never said you were a bad person. I may have said you had a bad game. I never said you were a dumb person. I may have said you made a dumb decision. All those sorts of things that if you're not careful, you start writing about the people instead of the things that they do or their performance. And that's how you get into situations where people are ready to kick your ass. When you just talk about your performance, you know, one of the all-time arguments I had with Dez ended it didn't really end, but I ended up telling him, like, you've been telling me you're a pro bowler, a superstar. I just held you to that level. If you want me to hold you to the level of a normal NFL receiver, well, then fine, I'll do that. And obviously he was like, no, I'm a star. Okay, then. Stars don't catch one pass for six yards, dog. I'm sorry. And not get criticized. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Fair. But if you don't want me to hold you to that standard, well, fine, we can adjust that shit. But that's how you have to come at them. You can't back down and you can't be disrespectful as long as they're respectful to you. But you can have a discourse and a back and forth and agree to disagree at a certain point and it'd be okay. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, it's a fascinating conversation. That, that about T.O. and having him tell you those types of things. I mean, that is, that's very interesting. And the jury, I mean, obviously we, we don't know. You got to give CeeDee Lamb this season and, and like T.O. knew he was going to be the one you know, maybe C.D. Lamb had a different mentality, didn't work on it the way that T.O. did last year, and, and this is the year he's learning what being a number one is all about. But it feels like what we've seen from C.D. in the last couple of weeks is better than what we saw even, obviously, the first three games of the season. Maybe as the season goes on, he improves and starts to understand more of what a number one receiver is all about. True that, true that. We shall see. That, my friends, is the Jam Session podcast fantastic stuff is i'm fighting i haven't had the internet at my house in almost 24 hours and i we did this whole thing off the hot spot which is ridiculous see how much we love y'all yeah man because i was like my internet's out last night i was like we'll see in the morning i woke up it's still out i called them they're like oh they're gonna be out there working on it today it's like well i freaking hope so this is 2022 man you can't live without (laughs) internet i got stuff i gotta do so We'll see, but have a great weekend, and we will be back. I mean, it'll be late into the night on Sunday night. We will record immediately after the Eagles and the Cowboys on Sunday night, and we'll see how it goes, but I'm excited about it, and we will talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.